0: This is The Blunt Doctor Show, on a Thursday, and before I even dive in, before I say anything, before I just, again, I hate having to start the top of this show with an RIP message all the time, but it's wrong to skip out on sending messages to people who matter. And Seku Smith is someone who I'm not like, you know, I didn't know him. I'm not like deep in the NBA media or something. And you just see these outpouring of words from people who knew him. But he was a young guy, like 49, passed from COVID. He was someone who I thoroughly enjoyed following um, in all forms of NBA media. He was a great podcaster, someone who I, you know, aspire to be like, honestly. Um, and it's a fucking bummer, man. He was universally renowned as a really good person, obviously well-known as a really great NBA mind, someone who was one of the biggest names at NBA TV, and it's just sad. Like, the NBA Hangtime podcast was a great pod, and it just, I don't know, just, I'm bummed and it just wear a fucking mask and I'm not trying to say Seku didn't I'm sure he took all the appropriate precautions I'm not trying to say that but this is what happens when you don't is it affects other people around you It's not about you, it's about everyone around you, it's not like you're just gonna potentially make yourself sick, it's your family members, it's your friends, it's the people that you come into contact with. This is why the masks and social distancing are in play. Not because of how it affects you, but because of how it affects everyone around you. And this is what happens when you don't give a shit about that, is we lose people, and You know, this is a scenario where, and this show, I mean, Seiko Smith is a guy who was pretty successful. He obviously had access to some pretty phenomenal healthcare. And so even in this country where, you know, we have issues of, you know, healthcare for, you know, poor people versus rich and all those things, even those people who have really good healthcare are still struggling to survive COVID. And this thing that was supposed to be a month or two months or was a hoax or was going to kill less people than the flu or blah, 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 continues to rage And I shouldn't even have to sit here and say this because I feel like everyone knows this, but it still gets ignored. We still have to go to the grocery store. I understand that. We still have to get food and gas. I understand these things. But we need to do as much as we possibly can to curb our interactions with other people. All of your interactions with stores and with going to anywhere just it should be as minimal as possible we we can't even see family members like I just don't even know how to deal with some of this stuff it's incredibly depressing and it just continues to rage on and the simple fact of the matter is that we could just we wouldn't even be here if people would listen to the scientists and would take these things seriously and instead now yet again we've lost another person that no one had a bad word to say about there's no one around who has a negative word to say about Seku Smith. And the thing is, is that there are hundreds of thousands of more people just like that. Who no one had a bad word to say about. Who aren't famous. Who don't get a memorial on television. And who no one is ever going to care about. Because they just passed away. And this is what happens when you live in this world where science doesn't exist, and you're just like, oh, well, it doesn't matter, I cannot wear a mask, I cannot use hand sanitizer, it makes no difference, all these other people would have died anyway, it just doesn't matter, blah, 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 it's just bullshit. And for anyone who is still out there not taking things seriously, if you know someone doing that, I'm gonna guess the very few people who listen to this are not these people, but if you know someone who's not taking it seriously, just say something. I know it's difficult for all of us, but we've all done it, And we all need to do it one more time, because if we don't continue to fight and we don't continue to do everything we can to stop this pandemic, it's just going to continue to grow and spread and evolve and change and get more and more difficult to put back in the fucking box. And hopefully, hopefully the vaccines just work and hopefully all the rollout is successful and this all just goes away but the more that we continue as a society to not take these things seriously in general i'm a person who never got my flu shot because i was like oh what is it matter? i don't i have a good immune system blah blah i was an idiot i got my flu shot this year i took that shit i got that shit taken care of there are people out there who are like oh i don't know what's in the vaccine i don't know what you don't fucking know what's in any vaccine we need to be better about these things the idea that there are large mass scale conspiracies that are, you know, who knows what's in these vaccines, and some people rush them, and it could be that it's all bullshit. We need to focus on reality and focus on what's real and focus on the science and we need to fight those people around us who are unwilling to do it because it's not themselves that they're hurting it's us it's our neighbors it's our friends it's our family when you see someone who's not wearing a mask when you see someone who doesn't take these things seriously you see a person who's a threat to your community and that doesn't mean that we need to attack those people or scream at them or anything like that but we need we've got to continue to try to do everything we can to get through to people who don't seem to understand that this shit is important because I still see them everywhere I go. They're still out there and there just has to be a way to reach people because I don't know how many more of these things I can take. I don't know how many more times I can log online and see someone that I respected died of a completely preventable disease because Cletus and Betty Joe don't think that their rights should ever be infringed upon. I just don't know how to take this stuff. And at a certain point, We just have to fight back and whatever that means, if that means we've got to get in people's faces, if that means that private businesses need to simply throw out people who won't wear masks at a level that they hire people simply to patrol that, whatever it takes, we need to get to that level because... Especially now as the vaccine distribution is much slower than expected. We've got to do everything we can to minimize the spread, to minimize the danger in the meantime, because the more the spikes occur, the more people will die before, again, a preventable disease can be they can get the vaccine for that disease. So just we just have to. Do the best we can. And it's, it's just indicative of the problems in our society. Not that this is exactly the same, but the stock situation that we're looking at, where we had multiple different hedge funds sell short. AMC, GameStop, and various other companies because they essentially expected them to crash. And then a bunch of small investors came together and saved those companies by buying their stock and shooting it way up to destroy the short positions so that those hedge funds lost money, the company stayed in business, and those individual investors made money because they destroyed the short positions as well, and they profited off their move. And then, of course, what happens is the federal government comes in to try to stop it, and private corporations come in and halt trading, and blah, 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 and there's a lot of other companies complicated factors and there are a lot of different angles to the whole thing. But ultimately it always boils down to the 1% get to say and do whatever they want to and they're completely immune from anything. Even the 1%ers who say that they don't believe in COVID, Republican senators who say it's fake and are unwilling to wear a mask and blah, 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 they still all got their vaccines first. They're completely immune from the things that they do. When when Republican and Democrat politicians do their little trading with the information that they have as politicians, when they buy stocks or sell stocks before, you know, uh, some new law comes into play or whatever, that shit is insider trading. And somehow we don't seem to have a problem with it. They're completely immune. But when we make money from stocks, suddenly there's something that needs to be uh, uh, corrected or when we want health care to uh, protect us from COVID, or when we want money so that we can stay home and be protected from COVID, none of that is available. But the rich have everything. And as disparate as these situations may seem, they ultimately boil down to the same thing, is that anyone with money can say or do anything they want, and we don't hold them accountable. And until we start holding people accountable, we're going to continue to have pandemics that we don't have protection against. And we're going to continue to have stock speculation that destroys the economy. And we're going to continue to have political office holders who spend all of their time manipulating the country so that they can increase their personal wealth. And that is what has been happening since Reagan has taken office and has taken complete hold of this country. And before If we don't stop this, if we don't put an end to all of these things, you're literally going to see the end of the United States that you once knew. There's a reason that so many of these movies that we watch paint a bleak and despair-ridden future of insanely rich few and just a world of people scrounging and scrapping and scraping and fighting to survive. And the reason that there are so many depictions of that is because we are literally headed straight toward it. And if we don't stop ourselves, we're straight on the path for destruction. We'll have no control of our own society. And as much as these things may seem like they have no place In a sports podcast, I'd love for you to think about a world in which you could no longer even make it as an athlete because you were too poor from the beginning to make it out. You were deemed, you know, unfit. So you never were able to receive the training or proper nutrition. That's the world that we live in in the future is that everything will be taken from us. Anyone who is poor will have nothing. And that is where we are headed if we don't discontinue this complete destruction of our economy and this complete transfer of all wealth from the middle class to a very small group of people. And it will destroy every single thing that you and I care about from sports to, you know, political causes and advocacy groups that we care about. It will destroy the very fabric of our fucking lives if 10 people have all of the money. And as ridiculous as all of this sounds, look at where the world is headed in the last couple of years. Look at where we have been as the financial income inequality has gotten worse and worse. Look how the world has gotten worse and worse. Look how our country has gotten worse and worse. And it will only continue down that path until we change very fundamentally the things that we believe as people. We must tax the rich. We must make sure that that everyone around us is fed and housed and has mental health care, and we simply must care for our fellow man on a level that we never have, and if we don't do that, we're all going to be living in the fucking Thunderdome. And maybe this sounds a little bit nutty, but people don't want to listen to the reasoned, well-thought-out message, because the reasoned, well-thought-out message is bullshit, We all know centrism is bullshit. The idea of centrism is flawed ideology because you can't have an ideological belief of I'm in the center of whatever is going on at the time. That's not an ideology. It's not an ideology to say, I'm going to put myself in the middle of whatever other people believe. That's not an ideology. That's just being a fucking coward. Centrism is cowardice. So if you can't ride for what is reality and you can't fight for what is necessary in this world, then you're just part of the problem. And if you're mad about the stock manipulation by regular people, you're part of the problem. And if you think that we have real questions to ask about COVID and if it's real and if it's the government trying to do population control and blah, 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 you are part of the problem. Just focus on the reality of the world. Read verifiable news from multiple sources. Don't go on a forum and take something that some dumbass says to be true. Don't believe a fucking word that I say. Go research every single thing that I've just said. Go look it all up. You'll find out that it's true. But that doesn't change the fact that you shouldn't take my fucking word for it. Just because someone says to you something doesn't make it true. We all know the old, when people are presented with information that fights their point of view, they dig in harder. Well, we need to keep digging in harder the other way and showing them that they're wrong. Otherwise, we're going to lose everything about ourselves. Look at the domestic terrorism that took place in our own capital city. That happened in the United States in 2021. Domestic terrorism within our own borders from conservative Americans who were brainwashed into believing that somehow attacking their own capital was patriotism. That's going on within our country. And it needs to be stopped. And we need to crush this insane conservative trend to destroy every single thing that isn't all about me, 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 me. I only care about me. No one should be able to touch my neighborhood or look at my neighborhood or be anywhere near me or live in my neighborhood. No one should live near me. It's all about me. This conservative bullshit attitude, it's got to stop. And it's got to stop forever. And it's got to end now. And we're going to end it with socialist democracy. Now, there are a bunch of people who are going to be like, oh, that's a centrist idea. You're not, you need to be a socialist, blah, blah, blah. You've got to be a realist. You can't change every single thing in the world, but you can change the way that we function as a society. We function as a society to make 10, 12, 15 people rich. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to function as a society to help our fellow man. And that is going to change everything about what we do. Moving on from the political rants of insanity, which, again, everyone knows, but I still need to say it. You know, I don't know that I necessarily say anything on this show that people don't know. I don't know if I say anything that is necessarily new information. I don't know if I'm necessarily reinventing the wheel here. What I know is a couple of things. Number one, it's very difficult to know as much as I do know and to talk about it for an hour straight by yourself. And number two... I like getting my opinions and my thoughts on the record out there. I want you to be able to go back and pull it up and say, no, man, you were wrong about this. Listen to what you said on this topic. You got it wrong. I want you to be able to do that because guess what? I don't mind being wrong because that means that when I'm right, it's that much sweeter and I'd love to pull that up and bring that up as well because there are plenty of times that I've been right, plenty of times that I've been wrong but I love to get my thoughts on the record and one thought I had on the record coming into this season was that John Wall looked like John Wall. And I honestly think after tonight's Rockets Blazers game that I you know I'm standing by that. John Wall, I mean, he's not perfect. He doesn't have all of the athleticism athleticism and explosion that he once did. He's not, you know, he's still never going to be a phenomenal shooter although he shot well from 3 tonight. Um you know, he's not perfect, but in a game like this, twenty points, six rebounds, six assists. Is the last I saw, I may have—I don't know if he got a free throw at the end, but um, you know, John Wall did everything he needed to do, offensively and defensively, for the Rockets to win. And then Victor Oladipo did the same thing. And again, I said that I thought these two were going to be a really nice pairing together. And you know, Jabari, my man, on dunks and discourse. By the way, quick side note. I was going to record yesterday, but I didn't because I was on Dunks and Discourse, which was an awesome honor for me, something I had always honestly wanted to do. I thought it was super cool to get to be on there. They did a guest episode of basically some of their fans who love them. So I showed on. I closed it out, saved the best for last, obviously. But in any case, that was very exciting. If you listen to my podcast, go listen to Dunks and Discourse. It's on every single podcast podcasting if you listen to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, whatever podcasting, Dunks and Discourse, Jabari, Ali Davis, and Josh Everly, they rule. In any case, I said coming into this season, that I thought that John Wall looked like John Wall. He does. And I said after the mega trade that I thought that Victor Oladipo was a really good fit for John Wall. Jabari made the really good point that the problem with that long-term is that Victor Oladipo needs to be paid this upcoming summer, and it looks like Tillman for today is completely broke and maybe even trying to offload the team. And my thought at this point is, if that's true, he needs to do one of two things. Number one, you can't trade Oladipo because these two fit together. If you've got to unload someone, try to find a way to unload Unload Eric Gordon. I know that it would be incredibly different, difficult. I know that they couldn't unload his entire contract, but there's got to be a way they could shave a few million by taking on a player with a slightly lower number, maybe for less time, and you pay a couple of second round picks or something. There's got to be a way. There's always a way. Don't, don't get rid of this pairing, because this pairing can do it, especially with Christian Wood. Wall Oladipo and Wood, this is the formation of Potentially, at least a play-in team, maybe not a playoff team, maybe not right now, but that's a play-in team right there with some shooting around it because those three guys really have... They're all scorers. You know, Christian Wood can shoot. He can put it on the floor. He can get to the rim. We all know what John Wall can do. And he still looks like he has that supernova in him every now and then. Victor Oladipo is getting back to himself. He had a great night, too. He's shooting from everywhere, scoring inside. He hit a clutch bucket. He dish several assists, grabbed a few rebounds. Victor Oladipo can do it all. John Wall can do a little bit of everything. Christian Wood can do a little bit of everything. And so suddenly you've got different guys who can be the man on any given night. Now, the one thing that we know about the Rockets for the last few years is that it was all Harden. Harden plays well, they win. Harden plays poorly, they lose. That was just basically what it was for the Rockets. And I'm not saying that this is better, and I'm not saying that these three guys even equate to James Harden. I'm not trying to say that. But... Still, when your team is backed by three guys instead of one, you at least have some, this guy's not having a good night, I can lean on this guy. And if you're trying to build a team, and guys are sick of standing around and just watching like we believe that they were, this probably is something that's better for the future of the Rockets. Especially if James was just checked out, there was no future there, and... I honestly believe, I still believe, I would love it if Tillman would just sell the team as is and let the next guys make the moves. But I honestly think that the John Wall and Victor Oladipo thing can be good for them. I'm not talking about this team winning a championship. But historically, the Rockets and their fans, they were a team that, you know, they would always tread water. Like, they were never really bad. Even when they were rebuilding things, they still found ways to be successful. Even in, you know, the Daryl Morey kind of early years, like, you know, they had Kyle Lowry and Goran Dragic at one time, and, you know, they just had all these different guys who kept them afloat as they were cycling through players trying to find stars, cycling through players trying to get picks and players and, you know, get assets to make the trade and all these things. And so... This continues that tradition for the Rockets. You've got a really good coach in Steven Silas who should be there. He should he should just coach his, the rest of his career with the Rockets. You should never let him go anywhere. You've got three good players yeah, Oladipo is headed to free agency. But again, like this this coming offseason, there's gonna be a ton of money. You're gonna be able to find a way to dump Eric Gordon on someone who strikes out, who will take him on for a, a you know, some sort of protected picker. So you're gonna be able to find a way to dump Eric Gordon. And then you can pay Oladipo if you're so worried about money. He claims he's not, but he obviously is. So I just think that this pairing really works. I think it's a way for the Rockets to stay relevant while they try to build the next great Rockets team. And I I just, I wouldn't get away from it because, you know, the whole thing about the chase to the bottom, we're going to get to the bottom, we're going to, you know, we're going to get all these picks and all these things, is I always remember the Suns 2016 draft and everyone was so excited and we got the fourth and the eighth pick you know, after we traded up to get a second pick and we picked Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris, who are both not terrible. Dragon's not even in the league. So, you know, the whole thing about draft picks, it it has limited upside and James Jones has taken over the Suns and he has said, we're going to focus on veteran players who can bring wins to this team. And that kind of seems like the Rockets focus too, is we're not just going to tank. We're not just going to go, you know, hunting for players in the draft because it just doesn't work that way. It's not that simple. And quite frankly, franchises that are used to winning don't really take too well to suddenly sucking. And they, you know, as much as the Suns pivoted to being a god-awful franchise very well, many organizations don't want to do that. And so I honestly think that this is, you know, I think it's really good for them. And it was a good win tonight, and Dame Lillard continues to be Dame Lillard. And the Blazers are just having injury problems and are just not able to... You know, put anything together and, you know, we'll probably see both these teams on the edge of the playoffs, on the edge of the play in and, you know, kind of <laughs> hanging around where my sons are going to be, because as much as I've been sitting here saying the Suns could be, you know, a much higher seed. This team is absolutely choke city three games in a row. I'm watching right now in uh, the third quarter. They're playing the Warriors right now. It's a nine point game. Phoenix leads. Um and uh, Langston Galloway connects right there to make it an 11-point lead. He's going for the end one as well. Phoenix is having a good game, but there have been plenty of games like this where they're leading, they're leading, they're leading, and then suddenly they choke away a double-digit lead. In fact, they've already done that tonight. They've choked away the double-digit lead multiple times. The Warriors even had to lead at one point. So it's just, it's really tough to figure out because the team acquired Chris Paul to close out games, and it's not happening. You know, the other night, he goes and scores three times in a row in the final minutes to, you know, give the Suns the bump and they can't get a stop. And they just still don't have the ability to get stops when they need to, to close out games. But as much as I'm frustrated and as much as everyone else is frustrated, I see there are idiots who think that we need to be jumping ship or think that we need to be going another direction or something. And I just don't even understand where that concept comes from. Like the Suns for years were, you know, new coaches, new staff, New GM, new this, new that, new French. It was constant changeover. And I don't understand what people are thinking when they want to go back to that, the moment that you hit some adversity. Like, we go 8-0 in the bubble, and everyone expects that we're not going to lose any games this season. Like, I don't really understand what people are anticipating. DeAndre Ayton has gone to another level the last few games, and people are still putting him in trade scenarios for Bradley Beal. Like, that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't fit. And... I just think that the Suns fan who is so frustrated and so desperate to make the playoffs that they're sitting here after you acquire a player who fundamentally changes every single thing about you and you're in a pandemic and you had a bunch of, you know, injuries that have kept your rotation, not from being fresh. Like, why are you? I don't understand the jumping ship stuff and I don't like it. And I think that. There's a bigger toxic piece of the Suns fan base than I maybe realized. Josh Eberle said it before I doubted it. He was right because there are so many people who just want to jump off the cliff. Jay Crowder has been getting death threats. Like, what is that bullshit? Like, if you're sending death threats to a player over a game, whether it's a video game or basketball, football, whatever, if you're sending death threats to someone, you have severe problems. Like... We've all trash talked a player online. We've all, you know, said whatever, but like, I've never had a, I mean, death threats, that's absurd, man. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And the fact that it comes from your, people who are supposedly your fans, people who supposedly are rooting for you and cheering for you and love you, like, I just don't understand. And there's definitely a toxic part of this fan base that needs to be addressed, that needs to understand. That this is a growing period. You acquire acquire Chris Paul, you change the way you play. We played with phenomenal pace in the bubble. And Chris Paul slows everything down. And that's not bad. You need to be able to play slow half-court basketball in the playoffs. And the Suns simply can't. You know, they are still not cutting very well in the half court and they are still having too many problems standing around. Even when Chris Paul is on the court, they are relying on him too much to do things. They're relying on Devin Booker too much to do things. But you just ultimately have people who end up going too far. Like it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to criticize. It's okay to talk about tweaks, but this firing changing stuff, like is anyone watching DeAndre Ayton lately? He's throwing down dunks. Yeah, he's had one really good game of blocking shots and one really game, good game of passing, and I know there are nights where the rotations aren't there, but he's playing better. He's going to another level again. He's you know only losing rebounds when he's got four guys around him. He's playing ferociously. He's at a level that we've wanted him to play, and people are still angry. You know, Mikhail Bridges has gone to another level this season. Every single day, he gets closer and closer to Chris Middleton. I've said for like a year now that he looks like, you know, a Chris Middleton type. That could be really his floor, honestly. I think he's going to be that good. And as he continues to get better and he's shooting the lights out from deep, like people aren't recognizing how good this guy is and how important he is and how good he can become. Cam Johnson's such a good shooter. He's way better on defense than you recognize. He does cut... He does try hard in screen, even though he's not big enough to play power forward. Cam's a great role player. There's so much here. But Booker and Paul have to learn to play together. Booker and Aiton have to learn to play together. Paul and Aiton have to learn to play together. There's so much integration that needs to go on. Jay Crowder is fitting in nicely when he's playing with Paul, but it's not always fitting perfectly with some of the other units. Like we just need time campaign has the best net rating on the season on the team. He's hurt. Dario Saric is the primary backup center. He's been hurt. Jalen Smith was a number 10 overall pick who was also supposed to provide some size and shooting. He's hurt. So there's been a lot going on and it's just way too early to go through this shit. And I just want Suns fans to fucking relax and calm down and just focus on Watching the team improve. Put that positive energy into watching the team improve. Hey, tweet tweaks and suggestions at the team if you need to. But just stop sending death threats. Stop being a psychopath. Calm down and just be a fan of the team. Enjoy the game. And let's watch the team get better together. Because they will get better. We will make the playoffs. And it's going to be awesome to watch Booker play in the playoffs. That's the most important thing. And as far as playoffs go, I will say... Poor one out for the city of Houston in terms of being a perennial playoff team and everything. I mean, like I said, the Rockets might compete for something. They're all right. The Texans are falling apart now that Deshaun Watson has officially, um, you know, asked for a trade. George Springer left for the Astros, or excuse me, George Springer left the Astros for the Blue Jays. Astros still have a really good team. They're still going to be really good. But still losing your World Series MVP hurts. You know, there's no way to look at that as a great thing that we lost our World Series MVP. So it's definitely an interesting time to be a Houston sports fan. And the Deshaun Watson thing is really the top of it because, I mean, you know, the Texans are just a joke of an organization. Whether it goes back to Bob McNair talking about the inmates running the asylum in reference to, you know, NFL players having control and agency over their own careers and things like that, you know, which was just an absolutely racist bullshit thing to say. Or to now when they've hired David Culley to be their head coach, who is a guy with no head coaching experience at age 65, who isn't really well renowned for being a phenomenally good X's and O's guy, but is, as Andy Reid said, a great man with good character. Which it's just the same kind of bullshit that we've seen going on with the Texans because they've hired this Jack Easterby guy to run the team, and now he's hired a coach who's the same kind of thing. What a great man. How wonderful. Good character. Blah, blah, blah. Eric Bieniemy is right there. He's leading the best offense in the league. They're in the Super Bowl again. He's the one guy that might be able to convince your franchise quarterback to stay. And no, you go hire some other dude who literally made me go, who? I literally had to look up who this guy is. And guess what? It wouldn't surprise me if his Wikipedia page were made yesterday because it was pretty clear that whoever had designed it didn't really know him either. Because, you know, the only things on that page where he's hired is head coach of the Houston Texans. And it just goes to show what a joke it is. What's their excuse? Oh, well, he worked with Andy Reid before. So you're not hiring the guy who works with Andy Reid right now who runs the best offense Andy Reid has ever run. No, no, no. You're working with the guy who sort of worked with him before. It's just the most, it's it's absurd, it's absurd, it's absurd, it's absurd. The Texans are a joke of an organization and they deserve every single negative thing that's coming to them. They deserve all of this. They deserve how terrible this is. This is going to be, and I hope they get an awful trade package for Deshaun Watson. Sorry to Christie, a friend of mine who's a big time Texans fan. I'm sorry to talk down about your team, but I just, I don't, I just, they don't deserve Deshaun Watson. They don't deserve a phenomenal trade package for Deshaun Watson. They don't deserve anything. They really truly don't because this is just, it's a joke. They, They had one of the best quarterback receiver combos in the league, and now they've thrown that away. Because they didn't want to listen to either of those two players. They wanted to listen to some random dude who they hired who had failed a bunch, and then they fired him right after that. And it just I, I just I don't know. It just everything everything has gone wrong for the Texans and they deserve where they sit. And they deserve to go back to a laughing stock of the NFL, which is exactly what's gonna happen. As far as the trades go. The other interesting thing is that Matt Stafford wants to move on from the Lions. So you've got two guys who are moving on. One of them is, you know, entering his prime. The other one is maybe past his prime, but still very good. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting to see how all these things go. Supposedly, Deshaun Watson wants to go to the Jets or to Miami. I talked about that before. Those are both good trades for him. If he gets to go to either of those teams, I think that's good. I know that I make fun of the Jets, but again, Robert Salah is a really good hire, and I think they're going to be able to change the game for a little bit for the Jets, which is unfortunate for me but I do think they might be able to do it and if you get a defensive minded head coach and a really good quarterback that's a great combination that's a really good way to win and that's you know that's what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were I think that's really kind of an optimal um way to run your organization is a defensive coach and an elite quarterback to you know work with an offensive mind and you let your head coach focus on the defense and you let your offensive guys focus on the offense I think it works well I think it would work well for the Jets and side note that would also work well for uh, the Dolphins because Brian Flores is you know a smart defensive mind I mean he's just a smart guy in general but a defensive oriented coach um, and of course Miami has the added ability to include Tua Tagovailoa in a package for the Texans I I don't know necessarily how much that appeals to them, but the Texans aren't getting Trevor Lawrence. So if you're looking at Tua versus Justin Fields or, you know, whatever the case may be, I'm not sure how they'll value him, but you know, those are the things that can happen. As far as Matt Stafford goes, I keep seeing him linked to San Francisco um, and New England. And I don't really like, I don't know, the San Francisco thing doesn't really make sense to me. They've gone through a lot of stuff with Jimmy Garoppolo's injuries and, you know, Matt Stafford is a warrior, but the last couple of years, you know, he's had some serious injuries. I'm not sure where they're going to, you know, come down on that, wanting to go through that again, maybe. Um, and also I, you know, just with how much their offense is oriented to the run, I don't know, you know, Matt Stafford's not really necessarily a good fit for what San Francisco does. I just don't really see that. He is a pretty decent fit for what New England wants to do. Not what New England did this year, obviously, but this, you know what New England did this year is not what anyone really wants to do. Um he is a good fit but I just don't see the Patricia thing. Like I I think Matt Stafford hates Matt Patricia and I just don't see any scenario in which he wants to go be around that guy again even if Matt Patricia is just an assistant head coach working with the defense. Like, I just don't, I don't see it, you know, maybe Matt Stafford's desire to play for Bill Belichick would overrule that and he would just say, hey, I'll come there, but you never let me talk to this guy. I mean, that's possible, but to me, that's weird. I don't know, Um, but it, it seems possible because some of the other teams, when you think about it, like, like Chicago, if they moved on from Trubisky, like kind of makes sense for Stafford, truthfully. But the idea that the Lions would trade Stafford to Chicago, just, I don't, you know, I, I just, I can't imagine that they would do that. Um As much as I kind of like the fit of, you know, Stafford again with a really good defense. Um, You know, I, I don't, I don't know if I, I just, I can't imagine Detroit trading him to Chicago. Um And, Another team that I thought of would be like maybe the Raiders, if they're moving on from Derek Carr, just because we know that Jeff, Gar- or Jeff Garcia, uh, we know that John Gruden loves his veteran quarterbacks like Jeff Garcia, um, and he wants to he wants to build them up and uh, you know have them play the best season they've ever had under him because he's a quarterback guru. And, you know, it would be a short-term deal while they potentially look for their next guy. So I could kind of see Matt Stafford to the Raiders making some sense um you know him throwing deep to some of their guys i mean i think you know i think that would really appeal um i kind of like that one um another thing i thought of is if big ben does retire i thought you know stafford to pittsburgh with the way they love to go deep i mean that's another one that makes a lot of sense if big ben does decide to hang him up which obviously he hasn't necessarily said he is but it's just these are the things i'm thinking of that make sense to me um you know just as as a football fan um And then, you know, again, I would love to see Deshaun Watson in New England, but, you know, I, you know, the likelihood, I mean, well, Nick Casario, I mean, the guys running them are former Patriots guys who are douchebags and are just douchey enough to trade him to New England and blah, blah, blah. Um, You know, Deshaun Watson has a no trade clause, so he'll get to go where he wants to go because they can't force him to go anywhere and they obviously can't make him show up at this point. And, you know, from Houston's perspective, they... Signed him to a contract, he's locked down, they paid him a huge bonus, so they're going to demand a huge package, because whoever is getting him is getting a deal, and you're getting him going into his prime, so I mean, you're going to get a mega trade package, but you're still going to suck, but he will be able to veto it, you know, even if they have a team that has the absolute best um, package available, you know, it won't matter if he vetoes it. So, you know, they're going to have to work with him and work with another team. And it's going to be a collaborative effort. And the problem is, is that he fucking hates them right now. And it's not going to be too easy to find that collaborative effort, but I'm going to guess if he wants to get out of town, he's going to be a little bit amenable to working with them to make it happen quicker. So we'll see same thing for Stafford, but again, you know, pour one out for the, You know, the Texans organization and for the city of Houston is, you know, a a playoff city in every sport. They're going to it's going to be a while. They're going to need to rebuild things in Houston. But, uh, you know, Houston sports Twitter is is a fun sports Twitter. So, you know, I hope I have the best of hope for you guys, but I feel for you because I know it's a rough time. And it just makes me think of the two teams we've got in the Super Bowl right now in Tampa Bay and Kansas City. And Tom Brady famously at this point left New England because they didn't provide him with the weapons that he wanted. They didn't do, you know, they didn't make the moves that he wanted. And, you know, some people will debate, well, what about Mohammed Sanu? And, you know, I understand. But the simple fact of the matter is Tom Brady wanted some say on what went on in the roster and New England simply said no. And so he left for a team that would give that to him. Um, And you look at what Kansas City has done with Pat Mahomes and, you know, they've extended every guy who's good. They've, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. They cut Kareem Hunt, which was a good move for them. But, you know, they've kept everyone else around. They've paid as much as they can. Obviously, you have to move on from guys at times, but they've done everything they can to build a championship team and keep this team in the hunt every single year, no matter how many moves or how much work it takes to get there. And so really, the thing about Tampa Bay and Kansas City, regardless of who wins, both of these teams deserve to be in the Super Bowl because they truly have gone all out to make sure that, you know, they kept their guys. I mean, Kansas City kept Tyreek Hill throughout you know, I hate Tyree Kill. I think he's a bad person. I guess I don't really know the details of his domestic violence situation. I wasn't there. But given all the details that we do know, it seems like Tyree Kill has a very serious anger problem that he has taken out on family and friends, including his child. It's incredibly difficult to deal with, and yet, you know, The Chiefs kept him because Pat Mahomes obviously wanted them to do so. I mean, you know, they have done every single thing. Now, we could debate whether teams with Tyreek Hill and Antonio Brown on them technically deserve to be in the Super Bowl in terms of, you know, how those things go. But in terms of doing what the star quarterback wants and in terms of keeping the best roster on the field, we're just I'm throwing out the politics of it and I'm looking at putting the best roster on the field. Both of these teams have done every single thing that they could for their players. Tom Brady asked for Gronk when he was retired. And some people said he had lost a step and he couldn't play anymore and blah, blah, blah. And Tampa Bay went and did it. He asked for Antonio Brown. And, you know, Tampa Bay said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. That'll never happen. We said, no, blah, blah, blah. Well, the second that he was available, they did sign him. So they can say that they said no all they want to. But for what we know, the moment that Antonio Brown was available, he signed with Tampa Bay. They signed Leonard Fournette the moment that he was cut from, uh, you know, Jacksonville. They signed Shady McCoy. And that one didn't really work out necessarily. But the point is, they've done every single thing that they can to bring every player in that they can to put these guys in the position to win, to put Tom Brady in the position to win. What did Tampa Bay do in the first round of the draft this year? They traded up and they drafted an offensive tackle to shore up the offensive line. And Tristan Wirfs has been great for them. And that's the point. This team has done everything that Tom Brady has asked them to do. Kansas City has done everything that Pat Mahomes has asked them to do. And that's why these two teams are in the Super Bowl. And that's ultimately what it boils down to. And, you know, Bill Belichick, he's done it his way. And he's been able to go to the Super Bowl a lot of times by doing it his way, by saying, I'm not going to, you know, bend to the wheels of any one player. I'm going to have the best roster, 1-53, to be versatile. And with my legendary quarterback, I'll be able to get it done. And when you have a legendary quarterback, that works. But when that legendary quarterback asks for one thing and you say no, You got to understand why he would move on. And this is what it ultimately comes to is the teams that said, hey, I'm going to do every single thing that you asked me to do. They're playing for a Super Bowl. And the teams that said, no, we're the team. You're the player. You play. We coach. We GM. You know, they're sitting at home. And, you know, for all this stuff that I see about, you know, Belichick's fired up to have all this money and he's going to spend all this money and the Patriots are going to be back and blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's true. Maybe they will. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that Bill Belichick doesn't like have a history of spending tons of money in free agency. Now, he has done it a couple of times. Didn't go so well with the Dalius Thomas. It has gone phenomenally well with Steph Gilmore. So you could argue that that's I mean, that's one of the best free agent signings of all time. So sure. There are There is at least one exception, but doing something one time does not mean you can do it five times to great success in one season, and the Patriots are just sort of believed to be bringing back a bunch of guys who are older on defense, who took the year off, and are going to be signing some, supposedly whoever, and they're going to bring in a new quarterback, and maybe they will be better, and maybe they'll win nine or ten games, but the simple fact of the matter is is that no matter how good Bill Belichick is as a coach— He hasn't done a phenomenal job the last few years as a GM, and he's never going to be as good of a coach as he was when he had the best quarterback of all times executing his offense. And that's all that it boils down to. They're always going to be probably better for each other, maybe. But let's look at what Tom Brady and Bruce Arians do in the Super Bowl before we say that. Because if they go out there and win... And Bruce Arians wins the Super Bowl in his first year with Tom Brady, and they come back next year, and they're ready to go for a repeat. If that occurs, then I don't really know what to say about Bill Belichick at that point because Tom Brady is the kingmaker then. He is the one who changes the game for everyone. And I still think that that's true, really regardless of what happens. But as much as Belichick was involved for having a phenomenal defense, and he absolutely was... And as much as Tom Brady benefited from all those things, I'm no longer of the belief that it was, you know, just both of them equally. It was more Tom Brady than Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has got to have his guys. And his guy was Tom Brady. And if he can refine another guy like that that he can replace, then good for him. And, you know, he's had a couple of decent seasons without him, but it's he's had a lot of bad ones, too. And, you know, we'll see. If Matt Stafford goes to New England or if Jimmy Garoppolo goes to New England, I have some faith that they'll be able to do some things. But I don't—if I, I, you ask me right now, gun to my head, I don't think Bill Belichick is going to win another Super Bowl. And I definitely do believe that Tom Brady is going to win another Super Bowl. And I know that that's a little ridiculous given that Tom Brady is in one. And, you know, I, I understand that. But I'm just saying— you know, Tom Brady's playing the Chiefs. This is not a gimme game and any, you know, this is an incredibly difficult game. The Chiefs are phenomenally good. So, you know, it, who knows? We're going to see what occurs. But I, I do think that, you know, unless Bill Belichick pulls off some incredible miracle, I think that we're going to see that his system really worked perfectly when you had a legendary quarterback there to make it all, to keep everyone in line, to keep everyone focused, to keep everything afloat. And to make the clutch plays that were needed when things weren't working. And now that you don't have that, it's just not going to be simple to recreate that. And it'll be e- interesting to see what goes on in the Super Bowl. Obviously, I'm going to talk about that more as it gets closer. Transitioning real quick. Now, this is going to be spoilers. So, this is video game spoilers for The Last of Us 2. So, don't turn it off if you don't want to listen. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I have no clue what that music was. Anyway, the point is... If you didn't want to listen, you've turned it off by now. I know that everyone has already complained about this. I know that everyone has already mad about it. But I am just getting to it now, so I'm going to complain about it now. Here's the thing. Historically, I have been a sports gamer. So I play 2K, I play Madden, I play the show, I play, you know, whatever sports games. And that's really where I have focused my gaming. So there hasn't been a lot of, like, I played this game from start to end, and it, you know, was all about... You know, following the story and all this stuff. And in the pandemic, I have honestly just changed a little bit because there's only so many, you know, things you can do over and over. And I just got bored. And so I I played Spider-Man last year and I beat it and I enjoyed it. Uh, and then I played Miles Morales, I beat it and I enjoyed it. Then I played The Last of Us and I was frustrated by it, especially at the intro. I was very frustrated in the beginning with The Last of Us when Joel's daughter dies. I was like, I was very frustrated, but little did I know that was only the beginning of the frustration. And now in The Last of Us 2, of course, the big thing that was that everyone hates, i at least I assume this is what everyone was upset about. But what I'm upset about is that Joel dies very early in the game. And it's just like, I just don't understand. Like, why are you killing the main character of the previous game? Like, I understand that the story is about Ellie now and we want to move on from her. But why, if you're going to kill Joel, why does he die at the beginning of the fucking game? Why is that the first thing that happens? At the very end of Spider-Man, Spider-Man spoilers, Spider-Man spoilers, Spider-Man spoilers, at the very end, Aunt May dies. And then that's the end of the game. And there's nothing you can do to prevent it or stop it, and nothing changes. And I don't understand, why do you end your game that way? You, You successfully save the city, you change everything, you stop the whatever, and then Aunt May dies. And it's just like, okay, well, now that you've completed this video game and spent all of these hours doing this, We're just going to go ahead and ruin it for you. And so then in this game, you finally get to Last of Us 2. You're all excited. You spend all this time. You want to know what goes on between Joel and Ellie. Oh, and uh, yeah, that's right. Joel gets fucking murdered. And then the only time you see him is through flashbacks to the rest of the game. And it's just like, and I haven't finished it yet. So I bet there's going to be some dickbag who comes up to me and is like, oh, well, you don't blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Whatever. I'm just not going to read any of my mentions just in case anyone is an asshole enough to try to ruin the end of this game for me. But I just don't understand. I don't understand this thing where we're trying to make video games movies and where we're trying to now just put movies in them. Like The Last of Us 2, there's so much time that I have to sit there and watch Ellie play guitar. I just, I don't, I don't understand. And there's so much time that I'm just standing around watching people. And it just, it's extremely frustrating to me. I want to play the game. And if you're going to kill Joel, how do you not at least let something happen right after where I'm able to get revenge against one person or something where you're able to do one thing to, to, you know, at least appease you while you, you know, build up your, you know, rage because the game isn't even so far it's not even satisfying in terms of what happens next as far as you know how you seek vengeance on these people and there are a couple of things that are a little bit satisfying but it just i just don't understand this need to kill people at the end i just don't understand this need to make everything so fucking negative to kill all of our characters and how edgy will it be and blah 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 blah, and It just frustrates me, and I just wish that sometimes we would have respect for the idea that life is very terrible, and it is something that we all live through on a day-to-day basis and is miserable for all of us, and it would be nice if sometimes we could play games that didn't have miserable, horrendous openings and endings, and I understand, again, you know, the motivation of Joel in The Last of Us is that his daughter died, and so he sees this girl, Ellie, and he you know wants to take her under his wing and protect her, even though he doesn't necessarily want to, but he sees her that way and so he does. And then in this thing now, Ellie has seen her father die so she wants vengeance against the people you know, not her father, but her surrogate father die and you know, I understand all of these things. but ultimately, it's still a video game and I still want to enjoy it and I don't understand why I can't just why why can't we have nice things? <laughs> why are you making me? like why are we going to I I don't even know what else to say it's just a frustrating thing and I hope that there's some sort of vindication in the end and I'll come back here and talk about it and say how wrong I was and blah 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 maybe that's the case but as of now I'm just frustrated by the fact that no matter what happens in so many of these games that I play no matter what I do they stick something in to make sure that I'm depressed (laughs) like Those of us who play games, a lot of us are, you know, fairly emotional people, and I just don't want all of my... We don't need to murder the main characters all the time, damn it. And that's just my rant. Frustrated rant with The Last of Us 2, which is still a game I intend to finish because, you know, I have to. Mrs. The Blunt Doctor wants me to finish it. She likes watching me play games. She doesn't like playing games. So... Well, she likes playing other games, but games like this, she doesn't want to shoot the zombies. She wants me to shoot the zombies, so I've got to deal with the bloaters and clickers. And in any case, that is The Blunt Doctor Show. Be peaceful. Be happy. Don't invest money you don't have. Don't do anything stupid. But don't forget to be on the right side of history, and don't forget to take a risk when you can. There's a big difference between being stupid and taking a risk. Be sure that you know the difference between those things. And in any case, be sure that you're on the right side of history when it comes to the ideals of socialism. And be sure you're on the right side of history when it comes to caring about your fellow man, your fellow woman, your fellow non-binary neighbor. Care about them as much as you care about yourself. That's what I want from everyone that I know. And I hope you have a great 2021. I'm going to get at you again tomorrow. Peace.